my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Listen every Thursday or join the conversation anytime on Instagram at What's Her Story Podcast. Zibby Owens is the author of Bookends, the force behind the new publishing house Zibby Books, and the host of her award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Zibby, let's start with the love story. You were a married mom of four and you fell in love with your tennis coach. What happened? My paths crossed with Kyle in a way I never expected, nor was I looking for. He was filling in for my son's regular tennis coach, and my son really didn't like tennis, but I was kind of forcing him to do it because he was seven and a half at the time and had boundless energy, and it was the middle of winter, so what else was I going to do? Anyway, Kyle filled in for this lesson, and after being on the court with my son for maybe 20 minutes, he called me onto the court and said, you know, your son really doesn't like tennis. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he's like, well, maybe he shouldn't 
I don't think you should be taking tennis lessons. And I was like, well, I do. And he was like, well, I don't think he should be taking tennis lessons with me. And I was like, okay. I'm like, first of all, he wasn't even supposed to be the tennis teacher today. Like, what? what is this? So um, I was sort of annoyed by the whole thing. But then he was sort of explaining how he had coached people on the WA tour and was like recruited. You know, it was like, obviously, he was just doing his buddy a favor. So then I was thinking, well, what? maybe this will be good for me because I love tennis. I've been playing my whole life. And I was like, well, I bought all these lessons. Maybe I'll just play. I'll take your lessons in the spring or something when I start playing. Anyway, we got to know each other playing tennis and very innocently just I was helping him with the girls he was dating and we were getting to know each other. And then by the end of the summer, I just didn't want those sessions to end. And we did have this one moment where I was crying one day coming to tennis with an issue with one of my kids and we were just sort of walking down the court on the way to the lesson and I was crying and just like any nice person would do he kind of put his hand on my back and he like didn't want to take his hand off he told me later but at the time I was just like oh my gosh no one has been this like this is just so kind and I feel so seen and understood and anyway it's you'll have to read the book to find out the rest but basically it was un planned and I thought my life was going one way and it ended up going another and I I know this sounds cheesy to say he is my soulmate but um I really do feel that our like the energy between the two of us is is really well aligned and it's in, being together has allowed both of us to pursue our professional passions and build businesses and have this home base that allows us to be more creative and it's just this very great thing. Not to say every moment is perfect, which, you know, we've been together now for what, I don't know, seven years or something. We've been married for five years. We are just, you know, we are still just a married couple with stresses of family and dog and whatever. So it's, you know, nothing is perfection, but we do have this just amazing connection. Zibby, I would imagine at the time, even moms who weren't gossipy were probably in some ways jealous that here was this mom seemingly just like them who had taken a leap and been brave and pursued love at a time when, as moms, we're constantly told it has to be about the kids and sacrificing and for other people, and it can't be about ourselves. So what was it in you that created that bravery that said, you know, I know for a short period of time I am going to hurt people, but long-term, it's better for everyone? One piece, I think, is having gone through a lot of loss at a young age or young-ish. I was in my 20s when I lost my best friend on 9-11 and she had been my roommate for many, many years. And and she just disappeared into thin air that day. She worked on the floor that the first tower hit. So we assume that's where she was, but who knows? I learned in that instant that nothing on this earth is permanent and that all of us, from one minute to the next, it could be over. And we only get to do this once. You know, my dad has this whole motto of, life's too short to be miserable. You know, (laughs) Um, that's how he lives his life. And I really feel like I got to a point where I was like, I only get to live once and I can't go down this path really anymore. And I have to do something. There was this moment, which I write about in the book, where I had this real turning point. I was just sitting on the side of the road sobbing after Kyle like sent me this nice song. and, um, And the song basically was saying to me like, I love you. I'm going to let you go type of thing. Like we're never, this is never going to happen. And I just was like, how, how can I do this? And I was just, and I felt so trapped and so, and ultimately I just decided like, I I just couldn't go on the way 
life had been rolling out for me. And so I did it. And of course, I'm lucky in that I had the resources, I had support of my family, I had financial wherewithal to be able to do this and make this decision, which I know many women do not. And I'm aware of that. And I feel very lucky that I was in that position. And I don't take it for granted for a second. But ultimately, true love like this and you know how do how do you just say no because it's i don't know i just felt like it was a gift from god and i couldn't turn it down do you think most people marry for that idea of true love or do you think it's different in our culture today i think that people marry young and that even if you're 30 or 32 or whatever, like it's young there's so much change ahead there's so much life and it's almost a miracle. Like I have friends I was just talking to last night who have been married for 20 years. And I was just looking at them like, how? Like, that's amazing to me. Also, my background, my parents are divorced. My grandparents are divorced. Everyone's very, very happy with their second husbands. Everyone has very nice relationships with everybody. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's just I'm like, how are you doing that? How are you keeping it interesting? How are you? Although then I say that to my to Kyle and he's like, well, what do you mean? We're not going to be married in 20 years. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like, well, of course we are. You know, um, I'm just joking. But I, I do think that we change as we get older so much. I am completely 100% a different person than I was. My DNA, everything has shifted and as things happen to me and to the world. And it's hard to match, right? If you're looking for this perfect puzzle piece, you might have one at the time. But then if your shape ch changes, then the other shape's not going to fit in perfectly anymore. And it's not their fault. It's you growing, expanding, going in a different direction. So do I think people marry for the right reasons? I think yes. Not everybody, but I think there's something so hopeful. I love weddings. I, I love that moment of excitement and seeing the families all excited and the love and all that. I feel like there is there's a lot of hope. I don't think most people go into that day of their lives being like, all right, fine. So I believe at the time. And I, I think that a lot of things happen to people that are, that are not in their controls, things they couldn't have seen coming that either, you know, it's like a, it's like a rocky boat at sea. You're, it can sometimes throw people together on one side of the boat, even closer, but it could also split them up. And it's not their fault. It's not because they weren't trying to hold on. It's funny. I agree with a lot of what you said, but I don't agree with the part about age because I know some people that, you know, are incredible couples who are college sweethearts. And then I know other people who, let's say, use their age in the other way and said, oh no, I'm 39. I have to marry the first available person like it was musical chairs. So I think many people don't have that role model of marrying for passion and love. And in many ways, by making sure this book got published, that bookends was out there in the world you've become that role model. I imagine you've received lots of letters from people who've been inspired by your story to make their own changes. I've gotten a lot of letters saying I've inspired people. A lot, uh, many of them have to do with books they're writing. You've inspired me to keep going with that. But people are relating to all different parts of the book. And that piece is, yes, definitely one of them. Every time I thought about giving up on this book, I kept going back to this moment where I was at this lovely resort and there was a marshmallow making s'mores fest at around the campfire type thing and I of course ran right over because I love s'mores so I was like the only grown-up 
with Kyle, who did not have a kid with them around this campfire. And there was this bedraggled mom next to me who, and Kyle and I, that was our first trip. We'd only been together, I don't know, a couple months and we were like all cuddly and, you know, everything was perfect. And I could see her just looking at us, you know, like just staring at us as like her not very nice husband was like ignoring the kids and they were like wanting to play in the fire and all this stuff. And after a few minutes, she just looked at me and, and sighed and she's like, oh, what I wouldn't give to have that for just one minute. And I was like, but you don't understand. Like we've only, we just got to get, like I have four kids at home. Like, you know, so um, I don't know, just that sense of, you know, I could just see it in her eyes of feeling so discouraged and she just felt so, I don't know. If we only get to do this once, I don't know. And so if I can inspire anybody to find something, even if you can't wholesale upend your life, if there's some piece of yourself you can reclaim somehow, if it's professional or personal or anything that can help you feel more grounded and more you, and if I can play a role in inspiring any of that, not to say I'm trying to break up anybody's marriage or whatever, but then I'll be happy about that. And now a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. 
OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. So take us on the journey of how you got your book published. When Stacey died on 9-11, I had been at business school for two weeks. And I had gone to business school because even though I had always wanted to be a writer, I could never quite see the direct path, which I now know almost every writer says the same thing, to being a writer right out of school. And I went into marketing and advertising and brand management, and I was really interested and am interested in brands and the relationships people form with brands. And so I went to school to to pursue that and to continue with marketing. And also I've always been really entrepreneurial and had an idea for a business, which I have like every day, and I wanted to go pursue that. So um, I was at business school and I realized very quickly that as passionate as I was about reading and writing and that whole world, there were people who were just as passionate about marketing. I'm like, well, I'm doing marketing as like a, a stopgap while until I can do what I really want to do. Whereas, you know, Jenny in row one was like, I've always wanted to do marketing. This is like amazing. And I'm like, okay, you should do marketing then. So I learned that. And I also had this moment where I was like, if Stacy died at her desk and I'm going to die at my desk, then I better be bringing my whole self. I cannot just dial it in. She had taken a job to help pad her business school um, applications and had only been at it a couple months. And that was it. And I'm like, I, I just can't do this. I can't sit here and come up with ways to sell Pepper's Farm cookies anymore. So I decided to write a book. I decided to take a year off and I had lost Stacy, but then as I write about in the book, four other close people to me and had just really had a, a time of it. And I, much as much for my own sanity as for anything else, decided to take a year off and write a book about it. I ended up writing four books, like in close succession, four drafts of the same book. First in memoir, then novel, memoir, novel. And I tried to sell my story as a novel because at that time I wasn't comfortable. And actually I'm kind of glad about this. Um, selling it as my own story and all the people involved and everything. And it didn't sell. And I, meanwhile, I had graduated and told everybody in the world I was going to write a book. And it never occurred to me that nobody would buy my book. Like I just thought if I could just do this enough or I could rewrite it enough times, someone will buy this book. And I, you know, in retrospect, I only sent it to like six publishers. And if it were today and you could like easily attach and send as much as you wanted, maybe there. But at the time, people said that, it was too soon to have a novel about 9-11. Anyway, fast forward. I, I did end up ghostwriting a book after that. But then I ended up having kids. And I had started with twins. And I stayed home for 11 years and did not try to write another book for a long time. When I got divorced and finally had time to myself and remembered what it was like to you know, have a weekend without a million birthday parties and, and all of that, I went back to writing. And I wanted to, I started writing a lot of parenting essays and I wanted to try to sell those as a book, but I had no platform, which is part of the reason why I started Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, my podcast, which I come out with every day, which has now become really successful and that's amazing. I wanted to do that, but I talked to a few agents. They didn't think that would sell. Then I put that aside. Then I spoke to another agent and I said, well, actually what I really want to write is what it's like to fall in love again at 40. And I want to call that 40 love and write my whole like love story. And she was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, so I wrote that whole book. And then I was like, I can't 
sell this book. This is so private and I can't only write the love story without the right context here. And, and then I showed, um, then I wrote it as a novel and then I, and then I showed a book coach and she was like, you're not even telling your whole life. Like you can't just have a memoir and leave out giant things, even like your family history and all that stuff. So then I, <laughs> I put all those aside and that was more books I'd written and decided to try to, I was like, I can't just keep writing these books. Maybe I need somebody at the publishing house to help me. So I was like, I'll try to sell it on proposal. So then I did that twice and that didn't sell. I wanted to sell a book called Happy, Sad, Happy, Sad. And then this whole other like time-based book. And it was mostly to try to find a way to tell, link all these stories that I, and I hadn't found like a, a good packaging device for it until I came up with this books related piece and decided to link all my stories through books. And I was like, I know this is going to sell. It is going to sell. <laughs> and, then, and then I really, you know, my confidence waned as I got rejections for that. But anyway, all to say it sold. And I did end up with the perfect editor for me named Carmen Johnson. She did help me figure out the best way. I mean, I could tell my story a, a million ways. I could write a book about, you know, this pair of reading glasses. Like I can write about anything. I just needed some direction and she helped me and, and I did it. And then that became bookends. So that was a long way of saying it was not easy. And I would show up to my podcast after getting a rejection or realizing a certain proposal would not become a book and just sit there being like, why can I not do this? Like, why does it seem so easy where every day I get pitched like a bazillion books? How did they all sell their books. What is wrong with me? Why can I not do this? And I never really worried. Like, I feel like I'm a good writer and I don't often say good things about myself, but I feel confident that like, I know what word comes after the next word and I'm not some sort of literary writer, but I can express my feelings through words. And I was like, I can do this. Like, I just need the opportunity. So yes, it was a long road. How did you come to terms with dealing with the constant no's? You know, not well. I remember this one uh, trip. I, I went to London because I had won something called a Lovey Award for my podcast. And I traveled there to go to the award ceremony. And it was very exciting. I got a fancy dress and like this whole thing. But while I was there, I got like the final no for this one proposal. And I got it like in the middle of the night because of London timing and whatever. And I just sat in the bathroom crying like because what I really want I'm like yeah it's nice I got this award but what I really wanted was the book deal right and then I would just like wait a little bit and I was like I have to get this out I would wallow I'm not gonna lie there was a little wallowing involved and perhaps some extra food and you know but you know Kyle was there and wouldn't let me quit you know it's like you're gonna get this you're gonna find your way it's you know don't give up and and so I would let time pass and then I would just try again, try another way in. You know, it's like if I had a whole thing of keys, like I'm a janitor or something, you know, it's like I kept being like, okay, I'm going to pull out another key. Let me try another way to get into this story. And so I'm, I'm very appreciative to him and, and also just this nagging feeling like it is my purpose to put this out there. I don't know why. It sounds like very high and mighty, but I... I have just felt like this absolute compulsion to get it, the story out there. Has this book put more pressure on your relationship with Kyle? No, I don't feel that way. I mean, I would say to anyone, like we are a regular couple now. Like I just said to you, I mean, I don't make any false claims that there is perfection in any relationship, but I do feel like 
we are very well suited and that we are meant to be together. That said, you know, we tried to adopt a puppy last week and I was like, this is going to just like fell us. Do you know what I mean? Like we are not going to survive this. It's like 4.30 in the morning and I'm like, come downstairs. The puppy won't stop biting my, my legs. You know, so um, uh, we still have like every couple has stuff and it is stressful. I have four kids, an ex-husband, a dog, life, two big jobs. I mean, there is stuff. So there's always stuff. But we always make up and we're quick to apologize. I think there's so many ways to sort of, quote unquote, argue or fight or whatever, where it doesn't have to be knockdown, drag out, you know, emotional firestorm. I mean, I used to have a hard time apologizing sometimes. And now I'm always like, if he's like, you know, I really don't appreciate that, you know, I don't know, you left to go to the camp drop off without me when I was waiting. And I'm, instead of being like, whoa, blah, 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 you know, I might start out with that. But then I'm quickly like, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I am sorry. And he is also good at explaining why it hurt his feelings. or So it takes two, but he is good at explaining. And I understand once he explains and then we move on. So I think the rebound from whatever conflict is also really important in, in, in all of that. In your book, you're forthcoming about the fact that your father started Blackstone Group and what it was like to be the daughter of someone so successful. In full disclosure, I knew of you because of your podcast. The person who introduced us never even mentioned, you know, your family. And I don't even know that I knew about your dad until I read your book. I think it's a testament to you that you've built your own very independent career from him. Yeah. I was really nervous about writing all of this. There were things in there that I have kind of been hiding forever and was happy. I never wanted someone to look at me and, and make judgments without knowing me. My whole family, including my dad, by the way, were very down to earth, even though our lives, you know, because we've been the beneficiaries of all of this luck and hard work and whatever, you know, I think that's good. I don't usually, I am super proud of my dad. Very, very, very deeply proud. And uh, he has shown me what it's like. I've gotten to be there while he's formed this business, gone through all of his bazillion setbacks, which he writes about in his own book called What It Takes. And, you know, it wasn't a straight path for him either. And he's kept going. And I've learned so much from him and the way he runs his business and his complete... um, integrity in the way he works and honesty and all of that. Like he's a great role model for me. So I'm not ashamed. I'm very, very proud. But I don't think it's relevant in the everyday. And, you know, people might jump to conclusions that are not accurate about me or who I am or my values or anything based on that. I know there's so much anti-wealth sentiment right now. And I, I know I am a beneficiary of this and I don't take it lightly. I do a lot to give back. I am trying to give back and and make a difference in everything I do. But I certainly don't want to like flaunt it. I'm just not one of those people. You are on the show and you're a writer because of the path you've carved for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I have not asked him for a single for help with getting a single guest. Like I made that decision. He knows everyone in the world, you know. But um I, that's not how I've 
built this at all. Um, but I will say I only started this four years ago and it's been the wildest ride imaginable. But I only started my podcast in you know, March, April 2018 and now it's 2022 and so much has changed. So even before then, I still, when I was a stay-at-home mom, I still, many people didn't know that or, you know, as I showed up in sweatpants or something at Little Maestro's or whatever. So I, again, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I'm super proud, but it's just not something I lead with because of all of the assumptions that can be made about me that are totally false. When you did, you know, kind of come back with full force, was it hard to take those initial steps and in setting up companies and and moving those forward so quickly? Because as you mentioned, it has been a wild ride. Like you have done a lot in a short period of time. I started off with just some essays that I would write on the weekends and I would post it on Medium and then it would kind of be done or I would post it to some site. Then it started with the podcast and that was one episode a week, which I felt like was a lot. And I remember trying to pitch my show to a network and being like, they were like, well, you'd have to go to twice a week. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can do that. Like, that's just too much work. And I know Sam and I have had long talks about the fact that why do I feel like I need to do this seven days a week? <laughs> Wouldn't the consumer be fine with just once or twice a week? Might those episodes be more listened to? And all those things are probably right. And ultimately, I feel like I obviously just want to keep doing this seven days a week or I would stop. So I obviously just want to keep doing it this way. It's a lot. But now it's a okay. Now it's really a lot. Now it's a <laughs> it's funny because I went from like once a week reading, doing this, these emails um, and all this to like Kyle being saying, you know, it might be easier if you weren't doing all of your work all day long on the go. Like you might actually need to sit in one place. It might You might find it more efficient than, than the way you're doing things where you're constantly at drop off or pick up or, you know, doing things on your phone or um, – it wasn't until I started the publishing business that it kind of sunk me. Um, <laughs> when I started that last year, now I actually have to like sit at a desk all day long. And I never really wanted that. I wanted to be able to jump up. And I still, there are things I won't give up. I always pick up my kids in the afternoon. So I won't schedule anything from you know, 2.30 until 4 or something so I can pick them up and bring them home and spend a little time with them. And then even in the afternoons, I try so hard not to schedule anything if I can avoid it except for like a call or emails or something. But now it's gotten to be more, I mean, now there's almost an inhuman amount of stuff I'm supposed to be doing every week and I'm trying my best, but some days I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And then when one little thing goes wrong, right, like one other thing Maybe a, a child needs to change school. Like my daughter just had foot surgery. You know, like it, it's so precariously balanced that the littlest extra thing knock, like knocks me down, like knocks everything down, like a house of cards. And then I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I can't manage my life. And then I go crazy and I cry and, I, you know, and then that thing resolves and I, I kind of pick up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to balance on this like tiny little ledge again until I get knocked off again. Should I scale back? I absolutely should. Am I going to? I am not. So I just have to live with that. And I've also realized so many things about myself now that I'm doing this work full time and all this stuff. Like I actually really like being overwhelmed and stressed and busy and having lots of things going on at the same time. Like even the even the weeks were like, with the book writing that I had to cancel things and only focus on the manuscript. That was an interesting challenge. Um, I 
deleted 30,000 words, like close to the end of the book and had to sew it all back together. It was interesting, but I was like, I remember posting, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just spent nine hours in my manuscript, you know? And all these authors wrote back like, yep, that's, that's the life of an author, you know that? And I'm like, oh, well, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, I can't sit and spend nine hours in a manuscript every day. Like I write books, but I need all that stuff. I don't know why. I don't know what it says about me. You know, then I'm like, well, of course I ended up having four kids. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I, there's something about the multi, like, inputs. Well, also, that- Zibby, when I read the dog story, so so I just want to share with our listeners about the dog story. <laughs> so as Zibby mentioned, I've spent time with her trying to help Zibby reduce her workload because it is truly inhuman how much she does. So here's what she does. She is a publishing house with legit amazing authors. She has two podcasts of her own and even a network of other people's podcasts. She has four children, a newish husband, a dog, and a new career as an author. Your new book, and you just announced a novel that you and, just sold. And, and our content site, Moms, Moms Don't Have Time To, is our new content and community site. So it used to be Moms Don't Have Time To Write. But now we've just relaunched that um, for personal essays and book reviews. And like we're trying to do a whole lifestyle site. So Amy, Zibby was on Good Morning America last week to talk about her book, you know, Every Author's Dream. And the segment before her was a dog rescue segment about six puppies who needed a home. And guess what happened next? Zibby FaceTimes Kyle from Good Morning America to get his blessing to adopt one of the puppies because of course that's what every author who's about to go on book tour needs, like a like a hole in their head. <laughs> so they start this segment not by announcing Zibby's new book, but announcing that she is the proud owner of a new puppy. And I was like, okay, guess I can't change my mind now. <laughs> I mean, I said that live, jokingly, like, ha ha. And then I was like, and that was not how I was planning on telling my kid. They didn't tell me they were going to do that. I didn't know that. And I was like, Okay, kids, you know, what do you think? You know, because I was going to go home and explain it. I, I didn't even think it through. I didn't have time to think it through. It was like a two-minute thing, and it was a really cute puppy, and I I don't know. I just acted impulsively, and I was like – my whole thing is like saying yes, and then I'll figure it out. You know, I'll just – I'll figure it out. It'll be okay. But this was like not okay, and I feel terrible about it, and now the dog is with the trainer for a couple months, and and then we'll figure it out then what what to do but obviously that didn't make any sense i knew in the back of my mind not even the back i knew in the front of my mind that it didn't make any sense and that i was doing it anyway and like my brother was just like i don't understand you have this like wish you just like try to make your life too complicated like you you make these decisions which are completely untenable like you just why do you do this there's a part of it i relate to you do thrive in a little bit of chaos you love to have a lot going on I mean, you make me look lazy, which is nearly impossible to do. <laughs> well, one thing I think that's really important to note here, and Zibi, I love that you say that like, you thrive in chaos, that you like having a million different things going on. Because I feel like in society- Amy, I think I said she thrives in chaos. Zibi would not say that. I don't think it's chaos. It's just a lot. I a lot. A, a lot. Okay. A lot. Okay. A lot of stuff. A lot going on. Because I feel often- but in society, we like applaud men who love to have a million things going on, but we look at them myopically like it's all business related. And like with women, we expect something different. But I too, like Sam, like you, like I like to have a lot going on too. I get bored otherwise. Like I like to have a million. I have, like I said, I have four children like you. Sam's got three. We have companies. We have, you know, all these things going on. And it seems like I don't think people expect women to embrace that. But I think 
it's awesome if that's who you are. I don't think I totally realized it until, you know, but then I, I had this one person call me an adrenaline junkie, that it's like not a good thing, that I thrive on that adrenaline that comes when you're like meeting a deadline or racing around. Like. But instead of bungee jumping, you are starting book imprints. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's great. It is what it is. And, and you know, what you were saying, Sam, about I, I do well in a, a little bit of chaos, like, because when it gets too much, I'm like flat on my back. To, like, I can't handle it when it goes up that nth degree. Then I, I just can't. And now, a quick break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. How do you think about your business goals? Do you want your publishing imprint to be the next HarperCollins? What are your goals? I do not want it to be the next HarperCollins. I do want to keep it small. I don't want to make that many books. I would like to just prove that it can be done differently. I'd like to be an example of a way that authors can be taken better care of. And I'd like other people to adopt some of the things that we're doing. If something works, I'd like it to be... I'd like to just shift it for people. If I can, ex if I can be a model of it, um, my goal would be that I wouldn't even. I mean, I do want to keep doing it. That's not what I'm saying, but that other people could do it, and that everyone would have authors meet other authors in the imprint. Like, why not? I love that. Can you share with us a few of the things you're hoping to change? Sure. One thing is, authors are so supportive of each other. It's a unique thing. I really believe in this community, in this industry. Nowhere else. Like, there weren't people at, in brand management who were like, okay, like, let's, I'm here to support you. I, it may be one or two women, but it's not as an industry wide. I feel there's very little competition 
there's collaboration across the board so much. So one of the things I'm trying to do is, is create more of a sense of community among the authors and having them continue to lift each other up. So we have profit sharing among all of our authors and our team. So 75% of net profits go back to the authors and the team of that given year in that class of authors. We are... Uh, we have 700 plus, and we're capping it now at uh, book ambassadors all over the country. And they're working with their local bookstores and having events and spreading the word because word of mouth, I think, is is the most effective way to spread the news about a book. We have an indie bookseller advisory board, so we're in touch with them and seeing what they want and how we can work most effectively. We have a best-selling women author advisory board, and they help us out and help the authors out. We are partnering with brands and are excited to expand that a lot and have different brand partners for some of our first books lined up. We have uh, just the way we structure the time. We have people available to talk about social media. Like we basically invest in the authors and not in the books. So we'll help an author. Like what should your website look like? What? How is your social media? Like let's take stock of your whole, you know, framework and we're going to help you. You know, we can't always make you a new website, but we can say like, well, here's some people we suggest or what do you think about this or whatever. And we're doing 12 books a year because and we have other stuff that I'm not like announcing that I think is going to be really cool as we're launching it. But I don't you know, I can't I'm going to save a few things. But we've recently decided we're going to launch paperback and hardcover at the same time. So uh, people readers can get the format that they want. I had so many of my friends, even like my college friends, be like, well, I always wait for the paperback. And I'm like, that's so silly. Why? Like, I also don't think our small, tiny team has the bandwidth to have a year where we launch 12 titles and then 12 paperbacks. Like, that's ridiculous. And why? I never know what to do, even for my podcast, when people are like, this is out in paperback now. And I'm like, okay. Like, I'm not going to do another episode about it. I'm not going to, like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? I already have the book. Anyway, so we're doing that. Um, and that's just one of many decisions. Um, we're trying things. We're doing more of a community. We're doing a direct-to-consumer box where we sell, you know, like a subscription box model that we're also going to offer uh, so that people don't even have to think about it. They can just get our books each time. And in acquiring books for a, a year, I'm trying to create a year of reading the way you would read it. So if this was all you read in a year, you wouldn't want to go from – depressing memoir to depressing memoir, right? You'd need, I would need like a palate cleanser or something in between. So, so we're not only acquiring one specific type of book, but all books written by honestly smart, funny, talented, not always funny, not always, but unique voices of strong women who have something to say. And I have, you know, they're all based in the here and now and, but not like, pandemic times like there it's something we can relate to now this is not going to be about world war ii but it might be a love story followed by a thriller followed by you know so i'm just trying to mix it up and anytime i feel like i want to give up and i have those moments <laughs> i have moments where i like call kyle I'm like i can't do this anymore i'm just like i have to do this i i have to do this because there there has to be a new way for all these amazing aspiring authors out there and, and already the authors who are out there who are feeling just so unappreciated by the big consolidating houses. And I don't think that's the fault of the people who work in publishing. I, I think they all, a lot of them have great intentions, but structurally the way the industry is going, I don't think it's at the, for the, they don't have the best interests of the authors at heart. 
and books are too important to risk this. So that's why I keep going. Sam, should we go to the speed round? Yes. What are you reading right now? I am actually reading a book by Natasha Sislow. I think I pronounced that right, called All Signs Point to Paris. And it's a memoir of love, loss, and destiny. And it is wonderful. How many books a week do you read? I don't always finish. I probably finish one book a week, start to finish. Well, that's not true because then I read for acquisition. But books from my podcast, I probably read start to finish one book a week, but I cover, you know, eight to 10 books a week. Uh, so I, I read at least part of eight to 10 books for the podcast. Who leaves you starstruck? Who leaves me starstruck? Basically any movie star. <laughs> what is your dream date? Not leaving the house. <laughs> like Just like going to bed at nine o'clock. That's so pathetic. <laughs> Watching TV. No, that sounds terrible. My dream date is, uh, I guess, having dinner on the water in Malibu with like an amazing chocolate chip cookie for dessert. Well, Lou Burns has been listening to our conversation and he joins us at the end of each episode with the male perspective. All this talk about books and publishing and and business um, got me thinking about like like what do you spend your money on? You know, like because you, you're you're obviously making way more money. You're doing so much more to help other people make way more money. And you got four kids and, and a husband, and you got a lot going on. So when you get a chance to just like splurge on yourself, what do you what do you spend your money on? I'm tempted to say I like to buy houses. <laughs> But um, no, um, I I splurge on travel. I splurge on trips. We travel a lot to go back and forth to LA and other other things. Um, but for just me, I mean, I had to get some new clothes for my book tour. So, uh, but I don't really like buying clothes at all. And I was also focused on your name, too, Zibby. I've never heard that name before. Is there a story behind it? Um, it's short for Elizabeth. And when I was... I, in playgroup as a little girl, a friend of mine couldn't pronounce Elizabeth, and so she called me Zibeth, and my parents shortened it to Zibby. Apparently, they named me Elizabeth to begin with because my dad wanted to call me Betsy because he had never met a Betsy who wasn't happy. But then I was born, and I guess I didn't look like a Betsy, so they went back to Elizabeth and were kind of hunting around for a different nickname. Meanwhile, I have decided for all four of my kids never to do that to them, so they all have names that are not nicknameable names. Perhaps the most remarkable thing about Zibby is her bravery. It's not just that she pursued her passion and uprooted her family's life for something she knew would ultimately be better for everyone, but very difficult in the short term. I mean, that was incredibly brave. But that same bravery allowed her to become a force of nature in the book world in just a few years. She calls herself a former stay-at-home mom, but really she was always writing. She was always working in some way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like a, a really big takeaway is, you know, I think before you read bookends, you might think that Zibby wasn't working and she was raising her kids, which in and of itself, having four kids is incredibly difficult and a lot of work. But she was always doing something else. She was never fully outside. And I think it's worth noting for a lot of women, like you, might, you yourself might say, well, I don't have a full-time job. Well, you're still working. If you're doing, you know, a million different things, right? If you're raising money for someone, if you're running a school program or whatnot. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to keep a foot in the door, right? At whatever point in your life you need that to be the situation. But I think the thing about Zibby that's really interesting for me is that she is someone who took rejection and just kept going. It is so easy to give up 
when you are rejected. I mean, it's the easier thing to do because being rejected sucks. And Amy, it was a very personal rejection. This was her memoir. Imagine how personal that rejection feels. I know. I can't, you know, I can't even imagine. It's, that's a lot. But she just, she turned it into magic, right? Not only eventually writing this incredible book about her story, but then also building a platform to disrupt the way that publishing works and to tell other people's stories. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would appreciate it if you leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para and our male perspective, Lou Burns.